0: let me invite you to take your copy of those ancient words and open them to Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. For a lot of your Bibles they may be on facing pages but we'll flip back and forth between the two chapters just a little bit because they all tell one story. We're continuing in this walk through the book of Judges. really very much of what that song we just sang speaks to is the reason we're here. You know, these words are 4000 years old. The words are probably 3000 years old. The stories they're telling probably 4000 years old. I'm reminded of what the apostle Paul writes to the Roman church. Says those things that were written before were written for our instruction. And so we can read of the stories of Deborah and Barak and these folks in Judges chapter four and five from centuries and millennia ago and know that it is the same God who continues to speak to his people today the same truths that are um, centered in Christ. So if you found Judges chapter four, I'm gonna read Judges chapter four verses one through seven and then I'm gonna flip over to chapter five and go from five to nine. So. If you would to stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word, we're going to start in Judges chapter four. I'm going to begin in verse one, go down to verse seven, and then we'll flip over to chapter five. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. The Lord sold him into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his armies was of his army was Sisera, who lived at Harosheth. Hagoyim. If I pronounced that wrong, y'all tell me later. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and and the people of Israel came up for her, up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops and I will give him into your hand. Judges chapter five, I'm gonna begin reading in verse nine. The opening of that says, Then sang Deborah and Barak. Down in chapter verse number five, this song continues. The mountains quake before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers seized in Israel. They ceased to be until I rose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When the new gods, or when new gods were chosen, then war was in their gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40 thousand in israel my heart goes out to the commanders of israel who offered themselves willingly among the people bless the lord father we want to pause and say just that bless the lord thank you for your word thank you for the truth of your word thank you for these stories these stories that are so often so heart-wrenching so difficult to read so difficult to comprehend so difficult even at times to see how They are continuing to speak to us today. But Father, we do pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to hear your word and conform to your image. That Father, we can see your grace, we can see your hope, and we can see how you have called us to be transformed into your image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all. When we open up this chapter, we find ourselves in familiar ground. Once again, once again, we find a dead judge. Ehud, the previous judge, died 80 years of peace in the land. And as soon as he died, the people returned to their sin, doing evil in the sight of the Lord and giving themselves over to other gods. One of the authors that I've been reading as I've studied this, one of the authors commented on this section of Judges. He said this, sin is a boring routine, not a fresh excitement. The fast lane becomes an old rut. Evil never lends itself to originality. These verses, he goes on to say, allude to the pressurized piety of Israel. Take away the external restraint, the judge, and Israel displays her true character. There is something wrong with religion when its degrees of fidelity depend solely on outside pressures, influences, and leadership. Then we are Christians only because of our surroundings or the expectation of Christian people around us. And we lack a genuine internal word of God. In a rather graphic sense, Proverbs chapter 26, verse eleven tells the story of sinning Israel and too often of the sinning church. When there the proverb says, like a dog returns to his vomit, is a fool who repeats his folly. Just keep going back. Chapter 4 and 5 work together to tell this story. There's a great deal of text that I'm not going to read all of it, but I certainly would encourage you to spend some time reading and spend some time meditating on what these chapters teach. We need both chapters to understand what's going on. Chapter 4 is an account of Israel's sin. God selling them into the hand of a pagan king, Jaban, king of Canaan, and then God providing deliverance. It's the same cycle that we've seen over and over and over again. The primary aggressor in the story goes a little bit different. It's not the king, but it's the king's general, Cicero. And he has 900 chariots of iron. The Bible says they oppress Israel for 20 years, and they oppress them cruelly. Chapter 4 is the story from a human perspective. Chapter 5 is the same story from a heavenly perspective. In chapter 5, we get a unique look at the truth that what we experience, what we see here in our lives, in our everyday struggles and joys, in our everyday defeats and victories, in our pains, in our losses, in our successes, and in our triumphs, in all of these lived experiences, chapter 5 reminds us that there is a God who stands above it all. And that God is sovereign, that God is holy, that God is king, that God is just and righteous. And He is redeeming. Judges chapter 5 helps us to see the situations of life through the eyes of God. So that we're not looking at God through the situation, but rather we're looking at the situation through the eyes of God. Because when we look through situations at God, we get a distorted view of who God is. This story, unlike the others, does does have a major plot twist. We are introduced to a woman named Deborah. Now the author of this book, in chapter 4, really, really wants to make sure that the reader knows, without a doubt, that Deborah (coughs) is a woman, at least seven times in these couple of short verses about her, he refers to her femininity. Number one, Deborah is a female's name. Number two, she is a prophetess, the feminine of this word. Third, she is a wife. I hope that's obvious. Even her husband's name, Lapido, is in the feminine gender. Judging, what the Bible says that she is doing is a feminine form of that verb. There's a feminine pronoun, she. And she's sitting in the palm of Deborah, which is a feminine name of the location. The author really wanted us to know that Deborah was a woman in this position. Deborah is judging in verse 4 of this text. But her role is more of as a judicial judge rather than a delivering judge the rest of the judges and even barack in this in this story is the judge who delivers the people from the hands of the enemy deborah is the one who is speaking if you will the, the judgments and the justice of god in relationship to the concerns of the people it's clear from verse 16 that barack is the military deliverer in this story in this event the Bible says there the Barak pursued the chariots and the army and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of his sword not a man was left but I do want to take a moment here and pause because I want to highlight something from this story that's important throughout the rest of this book we've already said that the degradation Of this nation, the degradation of the children of Israel gets worse and worse and worse and worse as this story goes on. And one of the signs that helps us to see this is how women are portrayed in this book. And really, it's not so much how they are portrayed, but it is how their treatment is portrayed. The first woman we meet in this book is Akshah. In Judges chapter 1 verse 13. She is the daughter of the nobleman Caleb, the one along with Joshua who told Moses we can take this land. She is her daughter. She is also the wife of the hero, Othniel. She is portrayed as wise and noble in her own right. A woman to be honored and a woman to be respected. The second woman we find is Deborah. Later we're going to meet another woman named Jael, J-A-E-L. She is actually the one who kills General Sisera, and she is the one who is hailed with the glory of being a hero in this story. Sadly, this honoring of women very quickly wanes in in this book. By Judges chapter 11, Jephthah sacrifices his daughter. By the time we get to chapter 13, Samson is portrayed as a womanizer. And by the end of this book, in chapter 21, we find that 600 women are kidnapped from two separate raids where entire communities are wiped out. And then those 600 women are enslaved as wives for another Israelite tribe. We'll get to that horrendous story later. We find a sad story throughout this book. And while it's simple, it's still profound. The farther we find ourselves from God, the worse we treat each other. And the worse we treat the most vulnerable of those in our culture. One of the stories within the story of judges is that god honors the life of all people he honors through blessings he also honors through judgment but he honors and as we honor him as god we will honor one another as fellow image bearers of god such is not the case in judges and particularly With the treatment of women early in the book we find God's people honoring later in the book we find them abusing Deborah is the height of this honor indeed she is she sets she is set as the prime example for all to follow in this book she is directing and deciding on behalf of the people in the nature of true judgment from God She is wise and discerning. She is respected and she is trusted. And then one of the major twists, if you will, of the story is that the deliverer that God raises up in the other stories, they're the ones who know that God is speaking to them. In this story, the deliverer that God raises up has to hear from Deborah before he will trust God. If you look at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4, the Bible says she, that's Deborah, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abnonon, from Kadesh Nephtali, and said to him, listen what she said, because the way she says it is important. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? He's already heard from the Lord. Deborah is reminding him, has not the Lord commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, take 10,000 of the people of Nephtali the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, I will draw out the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him to your hands. She guarantees from God that Barak cannot lose. I will give them to your hands. It seems Barak knows that God has called him to fight against Sisera, Sisera, but he simply refuses to go. We're not told exactly why. Perhaps he is unsure. Perhaps he has become so dependent on Deborah's voice to tell him what to do. Maybe he's just a coward. And sadly, the final option seems most fitting. He still refuses to go up into battle unless Deborah comes with him. He says, I will go if you will accompany me into this battle. And this brings us to the second point I wanna make. The first is the way we treat one another is indicative of our relationship with the Lord. The second one is this. The all-encompassing sufficiency of God's Word. The sufficiency of God's Word means for us what God says in the Bible, what God says in the Bible, God says. That simple. Now, certainly in the days of Judges, God spoke through various means. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 indicates this. Long ago and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our, to our fathers by the prophets. For Barak, however, what God had evidently told him should have been enough. How God spoke to Barak, we're not told. We're not, we don't know whether it was an angel, like we're gonna see with Gideon later, We don't know if it was some other form. Barak did have a Bible, if you will, per se. We know that by the time of Joshua, the law had been written down and was readily available to God's people. But Barak needed more. God's word, either through what was written in the law or what was directed to him by God himself, and even the words of Deborah, for him, they were not enough here's the dilemma we face friends we often want more even though God has given us everything we need in his word we know God's truth we know what God's truth is we know what God's will is we know what God's moral standards are we know what God's provision is For salvation entails but so often we want more and certainly there are many false prophets many false teachers who rise up wolves dressed in sheep's clothing that seek to lead us astray those wolves feast on the weak-spirited and weak hearted those who are weak in the word are the ones who are devoured the Apostle Peter the Apostle Peter indicates that what we have what we have in the scripture He says is the most complete account of the revelation of God through Christ That we can get in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 19 and following This is what the prophet or the apostle says we have the prophetic word of more fully confirmed, hang on to those words, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. As a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, know this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for prophecy was. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. And Peter says the prophetic word of Scripture is more fully confirmed. More fully confirmed than what? If you read the passages just in front of this, Peter is telling us about the experience where he... And James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Jesus fully glorified. And Peter says that what I've written down, what the apostles and the prophets have written down in the scripture is more confirmed even, what I could, even than what I can tell you as an eyewitness of those events. Peter says it's better for us to read what the Holy Spirit has written even than what it is, to have a new prophetic voice or vision that would come to us. Beloved, the story of Barak is a great victory for God's people. Yes. It's graphic at the end. You can read it when she drives a tent peg through the temple of the enemy's general. And yes, they are given 40 years of peace. But this story is tragic. And that the hero of the story. Barak, and make no mistake, he is the hero. But Barak refuses to hear and heed the word of the Lord. Church, we can fall into the same danger. God has given us the all-sufficient scripture. Yet so often we look to other sources of truth. Other sources of our truth. The world always has been, and certainly is now, filled with false prophets. We know, as well as did Barak, what God is calling us to do. He has told us in his word. The word is sufficient. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul teaches us that our acquaintance with the sacred writings are able to make us wise, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ in the Word of God the rock could have found all the hope all the assurance and all the courage he needed to go up against this army that God had already promised into his hand regardless of the number of iron chariots that were chasing him yet was not enough. So Deborah had to accompany him. He won a great victory, but he did not accomplish the task that he was set out for. He did not kill the enemy general. He didn't kill Sister Jael, the wife of an ally of the enemy, she killed him. And upon her accomplishment, her accomplishment of Barak's mission, the historical account of this story ends in chapter 4, verses 23 and 4, when the Bible says, So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Jabin, king of Canaan. Now this could be the end of the story. And if it were, it would look like just all the rest. But we have chapter five. We we have chapter five, and chapter five takes the story of judgment and victory from the earthly to the heavenly. The, the language changes. The writing style changes from prose to poetry. The story is not being told, the story is being sung. It's no longer a story for the brain to comprehend, but it's a story to enliven the heart. Chapter 5 teaches us that we are not our own that God is working in ways we can never see and certainly will never understand. As you read through this psalm, the psalm speaks of heaven dropping, mountains quaking, false gods rising up against the one true God. The fighting of the kings is likened to the fighting of the stars in the heavens. This chapter brings me to the final truth I pray we see from the story. First is that the degradation of the people of God is indicated in how we treat each other. Secondly is the sufficiency of the word of God is enough to ensure us victory. And finally there is a worship field, heavenly reality that we exist in every single day chapter 4 speaks of the work of deborah and barak and jael it speaks of their conquests as glo- and and their glorious prophets and warriors and victors chapter 5 speaks of god if you've still got your bible open i'm going to start reading in verse 3 and listen to what these passages say listen to what these few verses say about about god hear o king chapter 5 verse 3 hear o kings give ear o princes To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, to the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seattle, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped waters, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord the God of Israel. Beloved, chapter 5 exists so that we do not neglect the Lord or forget about Him. It is forgetting God that returns us to the boring routine of sin and God's not-so-boring judgment. God is at work. God is at work in your life and He is at work in our church we may not always see it we may not always understand it and oftentimes beloved we will even fear it but he is working and our response is always worship beloved we must embrace the truth that the battle we fight the battle over sin over false truths, even over the lives of lost men and women, is cosmic in nature. We battle not for our comfort or even for our peace. The stars in the heavens are fighting. The Bible says, according to verse 20, verse 31 of this passage is the end of this cosmic battle. And there, the, the, the Deborah and Barak, as they sing this song, they say, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Paul teaches us about this battle in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 6, he not only teaches us about this battle, but he also gives us an armament. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Notice in this passage what our weapons are. They are of divine power. They are the knowledge of God. They are obedience to Christ. And they are accountability to sin. These are the weapons that guarantee our victory. Christ has died and risen again. God has given us his divine knowledge and power in his word. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church so that we too can live holy, Christ-like lives of righteousness. We can look around our embattled world and see the signs of degradation. We can see those signs among those who identify themselves as Christians as well. We see the degradation of humanity in the way we treat women and children, refugees and outcasts, the poor, the hungry, the sick, the infirm. We see that we have put down our Bibles as the sufficient word of God and we picked up human reason, human emotional responses, human individualism, and human fear. I pray we recognize the world around us as indicative of the world of sin and beloved there is no overcoming sin in this world except through Jesus Christ and like Deborah Toborock has not the lord said Jesus has told us how to be saved how to defeat this enemy it is repenting and believing repenting of sin, believing that Jesus died and rose again. It is growing in this truth and taking every thought captive, every thought of our heart, every thought of our mind captive to the Word of God. I told some of you earlier this morning, a major study was released this week, and it indicates that 56% 56% 56% of people who identify as evangelical Christians. <clears throat> An evangelical Christian is someone who says that they believe the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is the only way to to, to to eternal life, that He died and rose for our sins, and that is the only means of salvation. It is Orthodox Christianity, yet 56% of people who identify as evangelical also say that they believe God accepts the worship of all religions including Christianity Judaism and Islam. Somewhere we have begun to believe the lies of the world that tell us all the gods of the world are just as good as the God we serve. Somewhere along the line we began to believe the lies of the world and not the truths of God. Friends, I, I pray we see this world for the truth of what it is and where it's going. But more importantly, I pray, I pray we see God for who He is, as as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit, redeeming for Himself a people who know this world is not all that there is. We worship because God is worthy. And we worship in the truth of the Bible and in repentance and belief towards Jesus Christ. Prince Barack was a coward. We don't know all the reasons. Yes, he won the battle, ran the enemy out of town. There was peace for a few decades. But he refused to hear the word of God. And he refused to trust the word of God when he did hear it. God will be victorious over all of his enemies. Friends, I pray that we are accounted as friends, not enemies. I'm going to close this afternoon with Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is a warning. It's a call to repent kind of a difficult psalm to read but it's a prayer for the destruction of God's enemies and a hope for their repentance I close with it today in hopes that if you find that you have set yourself against God you again are sinning against God that you will realize your need for redemption and that you and we will repent. Psalm 83. O oh God, do not keep silent. Do not hold your peace or be still, O oh God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebal and Ammon and Am- Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assur has also joined them. They are, they are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did in Midian. As to Sisera, the king we just, the, the general we just read about. As to Sisera and Jaban at the river Kishon, who, re, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zelmanah, who said, let us take possession of ourselves of the pastures of God. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze. So may you pursue them with your tempest. Terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame. That they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. That they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Father, we are confronted by this story of Deborah and the rock. We are confronted because we recognize that we are living in a time when we are degrading the value of one another. We are living in a time when the sufficiency of your word is not sufficient. We're living in a time where we fail to recognize that what we do here has eternal consequences. Father, I know reading a story, this story has been a struggle for me all week. I know reading a story like Deborah and Barack, reading a story that talks of war and talks of victory, but talks of, of unfaithfulness, of, of even cowardice And then, Father, pairing that with a psalm where the psalmist is crying out that you would destroy their enemies, that you would destroy your enemies. Father, I know reading this is difficult, reading this is hard, but Father, it is a recognition to know that if we continue in unrepentant sin, this destruction is what we will experience. We'll experience it here. And we'll experience it in eternity. And So, Father, I would pray. I would pray for me. I would pray for us. I would pray, Father, for the one who knows what you are calling them to do. Maybe you are calling them to repent and believe for the very first time. To genuinely become a child of God. Maybe you are calling them to take the next step in their walk. To grow deeper in their understanding of you. Maybe you're calling them to be a deacon or an elder or a teacher or a leader. Maybe you are calling them to share their faith, to share the gospel with a lost family member, neighbor, or coworker. Father, whatever that call is, I would pray that your scripture would be sufficient and that we would regard one another with enough esteem to do what you've called us to do. Father, as we continue to grow, as we continue to build a foundation even for this church that you are working here, Father, I would pray that we would read these stories, we would read this story with a note of caution, recognizing that you have called us and you have given us in your word everything we need. It is from your Holy Spirit and is about your Son. And so it is everything we need to accomplish the mission you've called us to. So Father, I would pray that you would give us the courage to be faithful, that you would give us the fortitude to stand fast, that we would put on those weapons of knowing you, of taking every thought captive, of walking in your grace. Father, as we continue to worship you this afternoon as we share in communion, as we lift our voice in song, may all of these be opportunities for us to respond to your call. May all of these be opportunities for us to lay down fear and walk with you, to hear your word and know it's sufficient, and to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name.